Hi, I'm Bev Lockwood. I'm a leadership coach and this is my business leadership podcast. Let me quickly explain why I'm here. I help business owners and leaders realise their full potential. I also help them to release the full value of those who work for them. The single biggest thing I help with is confidence. In this first episode of the podcast, I've recorded a conversation over lunch with four of my clients, exploring and discussing why leadership is personal. I hope you enjoy it. So welcome to lunch with uh, some of my clients. We've got Alan, who's the MD of an international manufacturing business. Hello. Welcome, Alan. Hello. We've got uh, Christabel, who's the Chief Operating Officer. <coughs> Hello. Hi, uh, Christabel. We've got Sarah Jane, who's a lawyer. Hello. And Tim, who's a Senior Police Officer. Hi. And the purpose of the session this afternoon is to just bring alive, really, the content of my book. And I talk about leadership being personal and I'm relying on Alan, Tim, Christabel and Sarah Jane this afternoon to illustrate just how important that point is. In at the beginning of my book I talk about three people being quite instrumental in, in my career and in life really, people who understood me and I just wanted us to talk about who's, you know, who's believed in you and who have been your key sponsors and also your wingmen and your wingwomen so I always believe that you're only as good as the people behind you. And we all have great wingmen and wing women, don't we, around us at, at different points in, in our careers. So I just wanted to explore with you what kind of what you think's helped you be successful. The best wingman I ever had was a guy called Andy Peake. Maybe I shouldn't use his name, but he was the production operations manager at a, a company I worked for um, that I joined in 1995. I was the first GM of a site to incorporate uh, design development and manufacturing teams together. And Andy was running two industrial units at the time with about 200 shop floor workers. Five years later, when I left that company, we had 800 employees and he was running seven industrial units with 500 shop floor employees. And Andy was the sort of guy that I would, I w I'm a bit of a thinker, so I'd work out what we ought to do and have the balls to do it. And then I'd say to Andy something like, Andy, go away and come back and tell me how are you going to double capacity in four weeks' time and what you need to do. And he'd, he'd come back only three days later. He was not a highly qualified guy, but he would come back and say, I need to put on a night shift. I need to do this. I need to do that. Uh, don't worry, Alan, I've already started. We've got 30 guys starting on Monday. And he's the best wingman I've ever had. The relationship, we never spoke about it, was if he was doing roughly what was needed, I would back him to the hill, even if he did the wrong thing. And we never spoke about that, but that was really important to him and it was important to me. So that's the trust, the understanding. Yeah, the trust. Yeah. I come across a lot of clients who underestimate how important that trust is. Christabel? There were two things that you said that resonated, one at the beginning, one at, one at the end. The first one was you saying, you know, how you've been successful. But I genuinely think success comes from enjoying what you do. And I think you, if you enjoy what you do, then you will become successful at it. And it's a, it's a virtuous circle. Mm -hmm. And it's really, really important. That enjoyment element, you won't get real success if you haven't got in, in enjoyment in what you do. And that's the one thing that's driven me. I never had a career plan. <clears throat> I never started. I, I started work um, from university and thought I would do three years. I would do my accountancy qualification and I would leave, which is the general, general view. I had no background. 
and I've just had opportunity after opportunity throughout my career. And why have I had those opportunities? Not because I've ever really gone and sought them out, but because I, d I enjoy what I do, therefore you're good at what you do, you put your effort in and therefore something else co comes along. And I think that's a real key attribute to, to success. The other thing that resonated, were you saying um, people who are having trust? You, had, you both had discussion about people trusting you, your wingman. I think, um, and I think that's absolutely right, but I always, what, what I think, I, I don't use the word they trust me. I use the word they've got confidence mm. that I'm there word. for them. Because I don't always have to necessarily agree what they do, but I have to have, they have to be confident that if they do things for what they think are the right reasons, that I'll back them. And that just, and people can develop and grow in, in an environment where they have that so much more quickly. And, you know, I, I think back and... Um, so there's somebody that Bev has, ha has, has worked with in the last year, and he's transformed in, in the way he has just completely transformed. And he's doing the same role he did for people before me. He just mm -hmm. does it differently with, with me because of the way I am with him. Sarah Jane. I've got this firm belief that your attitude dictates your altitude. It took me time to realise that actually doing something with others is more successful. And that was a lesson I had to learn in life because I had this impression that I always had to do everything by myself. Um, and so what has led to my success in life is actually having experiences and also having failures and things going wrong and learning and treating them as a learning opportunity. And that came from my parents. And also, if I had problems, I've never been fired from a job because I made a mistake. Because I would go to my boss and say, oh my God, you know, I've made a mistake here, but I think this is a way that we can deal with it. And so having that attitude of finding a solution, positive results and all that sort of thing really helped. Um, so I'm now, probably in latter life, I learned that actually having people around you is really important to your success. And I think what I've, I've developed is um, identifying what I'm good at and accepting that I'm not good at everything and actually bringing in other people um, to compliment me and I compliment them and together we're better. And together we do better for the company that we work for or the organisation that we mm -hmm. work for. Thanks, Sergio. Tim? I think um, for me, um, policing is very much a people-based organisation. We are we thrive on the success of our of our people, both our police officers and our police staff. And sort of eighty-five percent of our budget is spent on people. And one of the things I really like is people. I'm I'm actually much better with people than I am with things. Uh, so I'm sort of very much um, a pig in muck with, uh, with, with 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 people, and that and that sort of gives me a huge buzz. I, I've had um, people who've looked out for me uh, over the years. I was, I was a wee bit different when I came into, uh, into policing um, in that um, uh, I, although I don't think I do, I was regarded as talking posh and I was sort of regarded as being ever so slightly different from, uh, uh, from the outset. And there were, there were a few senior officers who, who looked out for me and supported me. Uh, during my, my service. I thought but also, I think, in addition to having uh, sponsors, part of what has framed me is actually seeing things that I don't like in others as well, which has then helped to frame the way I, I uh, operate. I think what sort of, I sort of see my career in stages really, and I think that what opened up probably was, was, was the watershed for the, me starting on the most successful period of my career uh, was when I came out as gay. 
because at that point, um, I, um, I think I was really able to be myself fully. Uh, and then all that is me, I was then be able to put into the, into the workplace and people responded to that. And I think it worked really well because my sort of teams over the years have grown from sort of 15 when I was a sergeant and up to um, when I sort of uh, moved out of my last role working in force of around about 800 who were part of my team. And I always regarded them as being part of my extended family. And I've been hugely fortunate to have, you, know, you, sort of talk, you talked about wingmen and wingwomen. Um, and I think that one of the things that has worked for me is that I've got some really, really useful skills. I know that. Um, but also, actually, my list of failings is significantly longer than my list of positives. <laughs> but what I do is I recognise my weaknesses. Um, and when I, when I look to bring people into, uh, in, into my team around me, uh, I know that if I were to recruit people like me, very, very quickly, we would actually cease to achieve anything. We'd have a great time, but we wouldn't deliver anything. Um, so what, 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 I, what I was, I think, pretty adept at doing throughout my, 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 my time as, uh, as a commander working in, sort of in operational policing environment was, was good at identifying those people who, who sort of shared my values, those things that were important, but actually complemented uh, my skill set by good, being good at those things that I was not myself good at. And the, I think the strength of the team, and, and my, my, I was doing that role for best part of nine years, so the number of people came in to, uh, to work as part of my top team, uh, many who've gone on to, sort of to, be, um, to achieve success in other forces and within, 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 within my own force as well. And I think that really worked well, and sort of we, we, we had that success time and time again, um, because it worked. Thank you. You've brought out so many aspects, haven't there, naturally, of, of what I talk about in the book. And you've all talked about team, the value of the team behind you and knowing where your strengths are yep. mm. and focusing on your strengths yep. rather than trying to be good at your weaknesses and bringing yep. the people in the, where your weaknesses are their strengths. Yep. So I've seen a lot of what I refer to as vanilla, where a lot of businesses try to get their people to be good at all 10 things. And actually, we're never going to be good at the things that we yep. do enjoy doing, are we? And I've, I've seen some really practical examples. I, I do believe that you can, you can push yourself, you can develop yourself um, and become better at it, what it is that you, you do. But I, th- I, I think we're, we, we operate a bit like a pendulum and that there is so far that we can push ourselves. And if we move ourselves really into being really developed into an area that we are fundamentally not com- comfortable with, pushing it beyond you that swing, swing back. Then, then actually I've seen countless people who have moved into areas, tried to become something that they are not, and have just been desperately, desperately unhappy yeah. and yeah. unsuccessful yes. as, yeah. a, as a result. And, and the impact on that on others. Oh, yeah, absolutely, it causes absolute yes. chaos. Mm. It really, really does. Mm. But, uh, and another thing about the team aspect of um, responsibilities and achievement that you mentioned, Bev, I think as I've matured, and I still think I'm not that mature, but I, as I've matured, I get more... I, I used to be so achievement-orientated, it was about the result. And I used to try and take um, people along with me. But I actually get... I, I still want results, don't get that wrong. But I get more satisfaction out of knowing that people who are working in the same environment as me, maybe team members or <coughs> contributors in some way, I get more... 
um, job satisfaction for myself now, and this has been probably the case for 10 years, out of knowing that they are happy with what they've done mm. and are proud of it, yeah. than I do out of the fact that we achieved something that Alan thought was important, mm -hmm. uh, although I still want to do that as well. So I think that's a, that's a journey that managers go through as, as well. And maybe it's mm. maturity, maybe it's mm. something else, but I think you do learn over years of doing things wrong that actually doing things right isn't enough. It's actually how you feel about achieving the right things is really, really important. What about managing under pressure then? Because I certainly know in my career in life, there are certain things that have built my resilience and enabled me to get to a point now where managing under pressure is far easier than it probably was when I was in my 30s. But the sorts of things that I refer to as building my resilience aren't necessarily always at work. So I remember when I lost my father when it was the first time I'd ever experienced unhappiness at the age mm. of 39 and he was only 62. And that had a profound effect on me in terms of my perspective on life. Equally getting divorced, you know, I talk about all these mm. things in the book. Getting divorced taught me a lot about me. I learned more about me in the two years after getting divorced than I think I've ever learned in a finite period of time. And being able to take that learning away was from that experience was so more important than the actual thing itself. And also kind of setting up my business was a big resilience builder because actually it, it built an area of resilience I just couldn't possibly have had until I'd done it. And um, as I was saying earlier, a colleague in the firm that I was leaving to start the business actually asked me one day, um, have you got a parachute? And uh, I said, well, I'm not envisaging needing a parachute, Paul, but if I do, I'll have to erect it on the way down. Mm -hmm. So I just wondered through your lives and careers where you've had things that have actually really helped you to mm -hmm. cope. You've all got really responsible jobs and lots of mm -hmm. different sorts of pressures. I think for me, I would say that I built my resilience outside of the workplace. Um, and it really did begin with my parents' example. Um, my father had his own business. He had lots of financial setbacks. Um, and it was just observing his behaviour around that. And he just dug deep and kept going. And so I had those examples. And then um, in my first job, um, I had quite a few issues where... Um, uh, I came across gender bias and, and I came across um, being totally outside of my comfort zone time and time again. But I think because I'd been brought up in a household where the thing was, well, just dig deep and carry on going, that's what I did. Um, but I also, in reflecting and looking back, I would build um, a social group. So I would have people I could go to to talk to. Um, and so I wasn't on my own. And I was able to talk about, oh, this is happening. Um, I'm thinking about doing this. And they would be able to share their experience with me. Now, I wouldn't have called that mentoring at the time. But in looking back now, I, I sort of built relationships with people where they could help me through that experience. So I've had some other issues going on in my personal <coughs> life as well. But thinking about work where... Um, we, I was in a, a job, for example, where things just weren't working out well. There was a big clash of personalities. And um, I actually brought the subject up and I went to the person and said, look, this just isn't working, is it? So what can we do about it? Um, 
And so for me, what's really helped me build resilience is to realise that it's just part of life to be challenged and, and not to be completely thrown when that happens. And yes, I've had a rough outline of a plan, but as you said, I didn't have this career path mapped out minute for minute. I generally had an idea of where I wanted to be, and luckily with the law, it's generally quite a set process that you go through. And I had um, challenges. Certainly the, the market went uh, big time for the first time, and law, lawyers were withdrawing, withdrawing training contracts when I was a trainee, and I didn't get the training contract I wanted. So some people might have thought, well, that means I'm not going to be a lawyer, but I didn't. I th- OK, I can't do that. I'm going to do this. Um, again, attitudinal. So I think overall what's really helped me with my developing my resilience is examples of other people. It was quite normal to work hard. It was quite, you know, if things go wrong, you just get on with it. You look for the solution. So I've always been very solution orientated. Um, and also, this is just a learning I'm not defined by whether I'm successful or not in this particular situation. You know, I've got a a broader game plan than that. Um, And then going to people if I needed help. And that was something that really came out latterly. I realised, actually, it's not weakness to ask for help. And it's all right for it to be tough. Exactly, exactly. And it's not a problem if I stumble. I just need to bounce back. Thanks. Sorry, Jane. Christabel? I think there's two sorts of resilience. I think there's resilience which is coping with what what happens. And I think, well, certainly in my experience for me, I did that for lots of years. I was very able to cope with what what happened. I could take the pressure. um, And then I would worry about it or deal with it in in my own way. But the reality was I rolled with whatever happened and that that was okay. Mm. Um, I think much more recently I've learnt what real resilience is, or for me what real resilience is, and that's really learning what is important and and the rolling with the things becoming so much less in that so much more doesn't have any impact on me at all anymore. And then things that do impact me my core is much stronger than ever it was and I am truly resilient to those, to those things and for years I did it through experience and it happens and you learn and you've if you're in a an environment where you've got people working for you or you're working with clients you have to be resilient you can't crumble when things go wrong you can't show concern or well concern you can but you can't you certainly got to appear confident in those situations and so you're, you're 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 dealing with that so you have you have to learn that what I came first from coaching um, and then through um, counseling is to really understand the things that impacted me and then learn different ways of how to deal with them learn my own strengths and accept my own strengths and become completely different so I I genuinely think part of us we learn resilience exactly as you've Mm -hmm. just described it Sarah Jane but I also think there is an element that well, for me, certainly, I've been helped to become much more resilient. Mm-hmm. And that has made me so much more uh, functional and functioning. The, the simple thing, I, I, Bev will laugh, I've told this story a number of times, is um, I don't worry in the same way that I used to about things. Um, and I don't think about things. Because of that, I don't spend time thinking about them or mulling them over or whatever. And the biggest difference is I go home now and I go, oh, I've got time. <laughs> I've, I've suddenly got kind of mm. more time because my mind is just free of mm. a whole load of stuff that didn't need to be thought about. 
done. There's no point really thinking about it. I spend my time thinking about the important things that need to be thought about and influenced, and the other stuff's gone. So it's but, what I call noise in your head, and there's... Um, mm. I can see I can see Tim and Alan sat here, sort of not necessarily totally relating to the noise, because actually, it is a more female than male thing. Where we women, partly because of the way in which we function, using all of our brain all of the time, we do often allow noise to get in the way. It's just mm. part of how we're made, and so some. So you guys, it's fine if you don't totally relate to that, but equally, I think. The skill of being able to compartmentalise things, and I, I know we, we, we had a chuckle about what you were saying up there about having time. It's true, because when you have got all that noise going on in your head, it is difficult to sort the wood out from the trees, isn't it? And actually focus on the things that really deserve the effort. Yep. And actually, when I think about some of the of clients that I spend time with, you know, I can think of a particular client at the moment where there's a lot of noise for two or three of them around the boardroom table that's going on, that's cluttering the minds, mm. that's creating busyness that needn't be there. So whilst it is predominantly, I think, a female thing, it's nevertheless mm. applicable mm. to others. <laughs> so pressure, Tim, you must have had lots of that. I think actually so a lot of my resilience comes from what I do. Um, I, I think that policing is... is a line of work where um, you either become resilient or it kills you in effect mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think that I don't think it's a halfway house because the, the, there's, there's an awful lot of I mean a, I mean it's much more sort of uh, complex than this but you know quite, quite a big part of, of of policing is actually preventing people from doing things that they want to do to to someone else because it's wrong uh, and then uh, making people do things that they don't want to do. Um, and, th- and that is quite challenging. Um, and that's quite a big part of, uh, of policing. Uh, and it's also about dealing with um, people who are at sort of points of real despair in their lives. And I think you either, you either develop the ability to cope with that, which then plays out in the rest of your life, uh, or it actually makes you desperately unhappy, um, and, I, and I think there's, I think part of me is wired up to be able to uh, to, to cope with that, uh, and therefore my resilience has been framed through my progression through uh, uh, through through the service. But then I've seen other people who, in actual fact, it's just been too much for them, and that's no criticism of, for that, of them at all. And you part of part of my sort of my my welcome introduction to when I got new recruits coming to my coming to work in my in my area was sort of to congratulate them on sort of getting through the process and, and coming to join uh, policing. But to say, actually, some of you may not make it, and that's no criticism, because actually you might, unless you really enjoy what it is that you are doing, policing is too all-consuming. Um, it's sort of 24 hours uh, a day, seven days a week in terms of your mindset. Uh, and if you can't cope with that, then it's going to make you desperately unhappy, and the best thing you can do is probably leave. Thankfully, very, very few people do, and the most, most people sort of become resilient. But I do think it's actually sort of the environment, um, in, in the, the policing environment, which either does, does create in people, developing people, that sense of resilience. It's very much a family, isn't it? I always talk about the policing yeah, family. Yeah. I mean, I've spent a lot of time working with people like you, as you know, and there's a real camaraderie there like no other, isn't there, in terms of looking after each other? Yes. Yeah, 
that is quite, I would imagine, quite important to build resilience? I think so. Um, and, and until people have sort of done it, I don't think there's anything else that compares with it, really, in, in terms of the environment in which you're operating. When I first sort of first joined, I assumed very naively, I came sort of from, a, from a, a, a secure background, that sort of everything was pretty much black and white, you know, sort of was either right or was wrong. And that's the fact that I, what I quite quickly learned, actually, it's varying shades of grey, uh, which we are dealing with, and that, and that actually is, is quite a challenge. And you, you, do, you do need the, the support of the people around you um, to celebrate the good times, but also to help you through the bad times, because mm. you know, sort of, um, you know, people sort of deal with the, um, with the most extraordinary things in their working lives as police officers, yeah. Yeah. which actually people shouldn't have to deal with, but mm. they do. Mm. Um, and I'd just like to comment there, because I've, it's just come to me, it's a very interesting distinction, because... When I was in law firms, it's very much about the individual and the individual ambition and so on. And you have to become resilient in a different way and almost to protect yourself against the competition. But being in, in part of a business, that had the more family feel. And therefore you had, certainly my experience was I had more support in that sort of environment. And so developing the resilience is quite, it's, the environment is quite important, as you say. It is, yeah. yeah. Alan, can you think of occasions particularly where you've been absolutely up against it and yeah, what you've had so to draw on? Examples onto? and resilience. Well, uh, like Tim, my father died when I was quite young, 13 actually, and I think that was a formative experience because I, my reaction to that was to become very independent and self-sufficient and uh, I need to be successful, you know, whatever that means. But in Working life, I've had a couple of um, real challenges, and I guess it's the cumulative impact of those and how I and the people I was working with reacted to those. But from a resilience point of view, I think personal life and business life interact so strongly that you can't really separate them. So I, I left a very, uh, I was a project engineer for an instrumentation business in the mid-1980s and I've been there a few years and I was approached to um, go to a startup competitor of the company as the technical manager and it was a, just 10 men and a dog with some money from some guy in Switzerland and it, it looked interesting and entrepreneurial and like a young fool I went for it and after we had a three year let's break even in two and make some money in three and the business plan and all the rest of it and after about nine months I recruited some good people because they came because it was me and a few people left my previous firm and a few people I didn't interact with, even a customer joined us. And we were ahead of our growth plan. And then the, um, the owner came over from Switzerland, which was quite unusual, and said, I want to meet everybody. And um, Vernon, I remember his name, the designer I recruited, Vernon Bartlett, said, oh, no, not again. I said, what do you mean, Vernon? He said, he's, he's, he's changed his mind. He's going to make us all redundant. He's shutting the place. I said, don't be stupid. And 10 seconds later, the guy said, I've, I've changed my mind. Um, Sorry, guys, but uh, I'm closing the business. And this was like year one of a two or three year plan. And I'd just bought a new house. Uh, my wife and I had been married a few years, but we'd overcommitted ourselves on mortgages. At the time, interest rates were gone from, I don't know, 9% to about 14%. Mm -hmm. They ended up at 17% at the time. And it was, uh, what are we going to do? So back to resilience. I didn't know what I was going to do, so I went home. And then the next day, the phone rang. So back to people who made a difference. And it was the managing director, a guy called John, 
And John Pilcher from my previous company, who I'd left, the young idiot, you know, I'd resigned, that he'd recruited me to this job. Um, and I'd left, and he, I'd, you know, I'd been gone about a year. And he found out, I said, Alan, I understand you're having some difficulties. And I said, yes, that would be an understatement. <laughs> and he said, well, um, I told you we were f you were full when you left. He said, but don't worry about it. He said, um, I'm sure you've got lots of options, but don't forget us. We'd like to employ you again. Wow. Just come and see me. Mm. You can have your old job back. And I said, John, I, I, I don't want my old job back. I left for a reason. I, the manager that I work for is an idiot. And you know I told you that when I left. I won't work for Nick. And he said, oh, you bloody fool. I knew you'd say that. He said, well, don't worry about that. Come and see me. So I, I went to see him. And I, I did interviews and I got some other job offers. But John, having opened that door, offered me a chance to be an engineering manager of a complete new project, loads and loads of challenge. And I went back to him. So the, the resilience came partly because of I was going to succeed, uh, despite um, circumstances. But also, that nudge from that man at that time made me realise that I actually had a choice. I could go to two other job offers, or I could go back to the company I'd chosen to leave and do something different. And because of his reaction, I actually went back to that company. I stayed there for another eight or nine years and had a variety of roles. But the resilience built mm. up through a series of things. I've been made redundant twice in my career. Mm. Both times, not really anything to do with what I'd done, just circumstance. Mm. You mm -hmm. pick yourself up and you get on with it. Yeah. Both times, you know, I went home saying, I don't know what happens now. Yeah. Yeah. So, But I, in that story, there's, there's clearly a relationship scenario that's going on there. You mm. clearly had the relationship with, with no, that guy know. that yes. enabled him to pick up the phone to you. There was a clearly a respect. We, yeah, yeah, in there. both directions. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But yeah. and he didn't need to ring me. No. And you know, but we could have a dialogue. Mm. When, you know, so he did even when he was saying come and have a chat, you know, I'd like you back in the company. I didn't mm. want you to leave in the first place. Mm. And then I turned him down on the first thing he said. <laughs> you know, he could say to me, You idiot, I knew mm. you'd say that. Mm. You know, and he, he was probably in his late 40s at the time, and I was mm. in my mid-20s. Mm. But, right, so I think ultimately you do learn that resilience comes from within yourself, but it's really the accumulation of the experiences and the people and the environments you've interacted with. So the more experience you get of failure, probably the better. But it doesn't feel like that at the time. Well, we, don't, we, we don't really, we don't often learn from things that go well, do we? We no. always learn from mm. things that go Always learn much wrong. better from things that go badly. Always. Um, Okay, that, thanks for that. Um, some really interesting stories there. Um, what about why people want to follow you? Because, you know, I learned, I learned a lesson quite a long time ago where I actually um, didn't understand at the time that the power of influence is greater than the power of control. And foolishly, I thought that actually the fact that I was the chief executive meant people would follow me because of the title as I put and the fact that I was responsible for driving direction of travel. And I learned very quickly that actually people don't follow you because of that, they follow you because they want to follow you as a person and there are reasons for that. But it's interesting then to think, isn't it, why people would want to follow you? And I just wondered if you had ever thought about that. I think leadership and management are very, very different. I think management is... is is that giving a vision and getting people to, to move towards that vision. Um, but I think leadership is very different. And one of the things that I think is really important is, as a leader, you're a role model. Whether you like mm -hmm. it or not, you yeah. are a role model. 
And it's understanding that and it's accepting that and it's then behaving in a way as a leader that you're proud of yourself and that actually people who look to you as a role model, that they, they see that as being, whether they agree with the decisions you make, but they can see that you're making them for the right reasons, that you have integrity, that they understand what your values are, what you value, and that they see the decisions you make as being congruent with those values. People are very different and you can't know everybody in your organisation. And even if you could... Um, you couldn't know them to the level to really understand what motivates them. Plus, different things motivate different people at different times as well. So it, it's, yeah. it's an impossible task to do that. That's why I think while people want to understand the organisation they work for, the purpose of the organisation, um, the goals of the organisation, they're all really important to people. Um, people will do that. People will be most effective when they see an organisation being led by people that they that they trust in some way. Mm. Um, and I think, yeah, I, I think there are, you know, you, I, I can look at, the, uh, at leaders all over the place and say, I, you value, I can look at them as I value them all for different reasons. And I think we have to accept, and that was coming, something that we talked, touched on earlier, which is about having a diverse leadership team is really important in a large organisation because what mm. I look to is probably not what you'd look to probably not what you would find, find, find wanting but if you get a leadership team that functions together and complements each other and is diverse enough to allow that broad range of people to feel a connection to the leadership team then that, that's what leadership's mm. about mm. Um, I think one of the, the things is you, you somehow as, as a leader have to build some loyalty to you because good or bad there will be There'll be difficult times and there'll be good times. It's easy, it's easy to build loyalty in good times. It's, but loyalty pays off in when, when times mm. are more difficult. And that's, to me, there's a lot about being fair, there's being open, there's being honest, and there's you know, being, being yourself and saying, this is really difficult, I found this difficult, but it's the right thing to do, do for, for these reasons. All those things are, are really, really important. I also think there is an element of being yourself as a leader, authentic leadership is the most powerful for leadership so you've got to be prepared to show people um all of you and not not kind of partition just the mm -hmm. you know the part the softer parts off and leave those at home you've got to bring all of that um all of that that to work I, the other thing i think you have to encourage people to enjoy what they do too to, to feel they're in an environment where they can thrive um, and they can actually enjoy what they do that is not a full description of leadership by any stretch of the imagination. They're just some things that, for me, are really, really important. In terms of, of following, yeah. Yeah, in, ter in terms of build building people who... Mm. Teams um, that will follow me, that will help me, that at times, you know, sometimes a client will give us a deadline that, that is completely unachievable. But the reality of it is, if we're, their results are going out to the city and they've told them they're going out to the, on this city... I've got to ask my team to give up their weekends, to be there till midnight, to be there till 6am sometimes in the morning to do that because there's such a huge amount for that client um, relying on that. And that's what you, you have to, you know, you've got to, when you ask for those things, you've got to be, be able to give as well. And you've got to have built something up that means those teams, they're not doing it because they're scared of you. They're doing it because they want to do it with you. Yeah, and, and I totally agree with Christabel. For me, it's inspiring people. Um, and it's not mindlessly following, it's, it's the inspiration point. And, and for me, 
in, in legal practice in the law, I didn't really get inspired a lot by the leaders and managers and I didn't have a lot of good role models. So I was very lucky that early on in my career, I, I discovered an organisation called Junior Chamber International. There were lots of queen bees, but they didn't really want to produce a lot of other queen bees. So there wasn't a lot of succession management. So JCI really developed me as a leader and I took that into the workplace. I took that with me into industry and into businesses. Tim, just quickly, what about your experience? Because obviously in your profession, the way in which you have to operate in terms of dealing with incidents is very much, isn't it, about leading and following? Yeah, but there is the... I mean, we're still a very hierarchical organisation, less so than we were, but we are still quite hierarchical. Uh, and, and that has its place uh, in terms of, uh, of leadership with people following because they are part of a hierarchy. I think the most important part, though, is around uh, people following because they want to follow. And that will then influence actually how people then follow in the formal hierarchy as well. I do accept that um, it's actually quite a challenge to get to know everybody who's part of your team. But I think the, the objective should be to do just that. Uh, and for me, it's about knowing people as individuals, uh, valuing them for who they are, yes. uh, what they bring, uh, and, uh, and their successes. Uh, mm. celebrating successes um, uh, as well and doing that sort of um, mm. publicly and privately. Uh, and then when necessary, keeping people at the backside when they, <laughs> when they need it, because that's all part, yes. of the, uh, part of the thing. And I, I think that then creates the environment when, when actually people want to follow you. Mm -hmm. uh, because they, 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 are, they feel they are, they are recognised as individuals as part of the team and that they are important. Uh, and then the sort of the broader context is it, it is about sort of um, setting the standards, uh, the direction of travel, uh, and the parameters in which people will uh, will operate. Mm -hmm. When people sort of feel they are they're valued, part of the organisation, uh, that their contribution is important, mm -hmm. and they know what they're supposed to be doing because actually that's mm -hmm. how what you've told and that's the objective that's uh, been set how they want to operate. Mm -hmm. it takes time to achieve that. Um, and you know, sort of that, that type of investment takes sort of years in many ways yeah. to, to build up. But it's actually, it's not just about the individuals themselves. But what do you know about their families? Mm. Um, because actually, policing, uh, police officers, police staff are effective because of actually what supports them outside of work. Mm. Um, and that is vitally important uh, as well, because if somebody's having a crap day because things are sort of banned outside of, uh, of work for them, they need to take that into account mm -hmm. and help them through it. That's a great way to end the session, Tim. It is all about people, isn't it? And that was one of the key messages I got from your book, and it was something that really res resonated for me. You know, leadership is personal. Yeah. I think we're out of time. I just want to say thank you for taking part today. It's a real, it genuinely is a real privilege to be able to work with people like you for a living and for you to take the time out of your working day to come and record this podcast today I can't tell you how grateful I am for the time, I really appreciate it I hope you've enjoyed the lunch It's been lovely. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. It's been a wonderful yeah. experience The conversation's been great It has, it's been yeah. lovely meeting everybody and thank you Bev I hope you enjoyed the first episode of my Business Leadership Podcast If you'd like to find out more then take a look at my website unlockedlimited.com or read my book Unlocking You because leadership is personal, which is available from Amazon.